Radio as the founders intended. Mojo Five O. You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Seraphine. Hello, patriots and freedom fighters. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse on the Mojo Five O Radio Network, a network that I am still... Very proud to be associated with freedom of speech in radio. And what I mean freedom of speech, Mojo, when they asked me to join, or when I badgered them enough that they let me join, I guess would probably be more accurate. Anyway, when I was invited to join the Mojo 50 Radio family, I was not given any direction as to what to say, what to talk about, what not to say. This Well, there was a couple of words I'm supposed to avoid. But other than that, it's really my show, and I can say what I want. So you know what I've decided I'm going to talk about today? Education. Education is important. Education is so important that it really is the future. Our children are our future. Treat them well and let them... No, okay. You don't want to hear me sing. That's not why you're here. But we're going to talk about education because it is so important. And we're going to talk about a lot of ways that education has just been completely corrupted. And, well, it's it's actually failing our country very, very badly. So I I picked it as as the topic for today and, uh, well, for this week. And, um, well, let's just jump right in and get going. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Seraphine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. That's right. Call or text 64-MY-RIGHTS. Love your questions, comments, and concerns. You can also head over to the chat room on MeWe. The MeWe chat room is where uh, both I and listeners can chat back and forth during the show. Uh, If you don't already have a MeWe account, the easiest way to get there is probably to go to my site, liberty-lighthouse.com, and click the MeWe chat button that's right there on the front page. Thank you to all of those of you that uh, pre-ordered the new Liberty Lighthouse t-shirt with the... uh, AR-15 on the back it says, it's because I'm black, isn't it? Uh, those are, I just placed that order on Monday, so I should have them soon. As soon as I have them, I will uh, let you know, and we'll figure out how to get them out to you just as quick as we can. So, like I said, we're going to talk about education in America and how government and education have commingled in, well, to be honest, some, some pretty bad ways. Now, I often like to start my shows by looking at the history of whatever topic it is. So, in the history of education here in America, I think we're going to probably start in the 1600s, before we were America. So, education in North America, before we even were the United States. The first public schools were here 
in the 1600s, the, the 17th century, and, well, they basically taught the Bible and how to read. And, and that was really it. It was how to read and the Bible. The first public schools in our nation, or on our continent for that matter, were very religious focused. But that was, you know, before we were a country. So if you want to fast forward and get up to after we were the United States, the first significant thing would probably be in 1867, President Andrew Johnson made the first Department of Education. And the first Department of Education was basically created for the sole purpose of gathering statistics. Now that brand new department in 1867 was, well, it was demoted. It was downgraded. The very next year, in 1868, it became the Office of Education instead of the Department of Education. That might not sound like a big deal, but it really was. That means that it went from a cabinet-level thing to an office. And the reason that it was downgraded or demoted to just an office was because the people feared that this was A, an unconstitutional department, and B, that it was going to take over the education system and exert far more power than anybody in 1867 was comfortable with. Hmm. Have any of our political leaders nowadays ever expressed that concern about anything? What was the last time you remember anybody that we've elected to any job in Washington, D.C. ever expressing concern that there was going to be too much power in a particular office? I, I honestly can't remember the last time somebody raised that red flag. But in 1867, the idea of a cabinet-level Department of Education was frightening enough that it only lasted one year. Those were political leaders that saw the writing on the wall, so to speak. And well, while we're at it, speaking of leaders, I guess this is just as good a time as any for this week's public service announcement, blah, blah, blah. The party is looking for new local leaders. Do you see racism and or sexism around every corner? Do you feel the need to force political correctness on others? Have you ever been offended by a statue of a historic figure? Are you more interested in grandstanding soliloquies than answers? Are your feelings more important than someone else's rights? Have you ever felt the need to utilize a safe space? If you answered yes to any of these questions, please apply at your local party office. You could be the next party leader. Big Brother has approved this message. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help myself with those. I, it's just too easy. I, I'm going to keep making them as long as it's this easy to make. Anyway, so we started in 1867 and 1868 with the creation of the Department of Education that was then demoted to the Office of Education. 
But by 1890, colleges and universities had been added underneath the umbrella of this Office of Education. So it seems that the people who were afraid of this office taking more power than was initially given to it, well, it looks like they were right. Because in, was that 12 years, 13 years since the very beginning, they, uh, well, they just added colleges and universities underneath their umbrella. Something that I think important to note, parallel timeline-wise, something that we're going to talk about probably in the second segment. Um, this was 1867 to 1890 that we've talked about so far. Well, in 1847, across the pond, over in Europe, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels had written the Communist Manifesto. Now, remember that. Remember the time frame. 1847, the Communist Manifesto. 1867, 27 years later, the first Department of Education was created in America then downgraded to the Office of Education. Then 1890, the colleges were added. That's going to be important here in just a minute. Well, you know what? Let's just do it now. Let's forget trying to postpone it till the second segment. Let's just talk about it now. Why that's important is because step number 10 in the Manifesto of the Communist Party, that step number 10 of Communist Table as defined by Friedrich Engel and Karl Marx, is education. Step number 10 is free, state-run education. Now remember that this book came out 20 years before the United States made a Department of Education on a federal level. Now state levels had already done it, um, the most famous of which... I completely forgot now. Anyway, states have already done it. States had already put their public schools under umbrellas and tried to manage what was and wasn't taught at the state level. But the first federal one came out 20 years after the Communist Manifesto. Now, there is the possibility, of course, that that was mere coincidence, but uh, I don't know. It just frightens me a little bit that they were that close together. And to be honest, that's really all I have about the real history of uh, education and our federal government. The next point that I have in our timeline jumps all the way up to 1979. 1979 is when President Jimmy Carter signed the bill that created the current uh, Department of Education. Now, it's a Department of Ed, or just plain Ed. Uh, it's not DOE, because DOE refers to uh, Department of Energy, so DOED. Um, anyway, so that was in 1979. Uh, Jimmy Carter signed creating the Department of Education, which did not actually come into existence until 1980 under President Ronald Reagan. So up until this point in history, between the founding of our country and 1980, so 204 years, 
the federal government had little to nothing to do with the education of our children. It was done by state and local governments. Now let's look at the current Department of Education just a little bit. The current Department of Education at the federal level has 4,000 employees. 4,000 employees. What do they even do that they need 4,000 employees? And a budget of $68 billion a year. 4,000 employees, $68 billion a year for the Federal Department of Education, which didn't exist for the first 240 years of our nation. But now it's so important that they get $68 billion a year and they have 4,000 employees. Hmm. They also get $130 billion more for student loans and student grants and all of that kind of stuff. So all done in total, the Federal Department of Education spends just ever so slightly shy of $200 billion a year of our tax money. That's a lot of freaking money. So what kind of a return on investment have we gotten for that just shy of $200 billion a year? That would be worth looking into, wouldn't it? Well, let's do that next. Well, I often say that when the federal government gets involved with anything, that it becomes more expensive and less efficient. And let's look and see if education falls into that exact same scenario. Well, from according to Brookings Institute, between 1980 and 2015, so the year that the Department of Education was created, till 2015, the cost of college has gone up 11.1%, which is almost five times the rate of inflation. The cost of private schools has gone up from 8.5%, which is almost three times, I'm sorry, over three times the rate of inflation. And the cost of public school has gone up 4.7%, which is almost twice that of inflation. So I think that... uh, Government involvement has definitely made it more expensive. I don't think anybody can argue that. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, there has not been literacy gains amongst America's youth since 1971. And there has not been mathematical gains amongst America's youth since 1990. So, apparently... All of that money and all of that extra expense doesn't seem to be helping. OECD's assessment of skills in 26 countries ranks America, the United States of America, dead last amongst those 26 countries in mathematics and mathematical gains, meaning students who know more about math when they graduate high school versus other countries. Dead last. And second to last amongst those 26 countries 
in literacy. What? That's not America. That's not the United States that I know. The United States that I know is the best and is the most innovative. And we lead the world. Why have we're dead last? It's pathetic. What makes it even more pathetic is not only are we dead last in mathematics compared to these other 26 nations, but we spend more money per student than any of those other nations. And we're still dead last. Now, I think it's just proved what I said about government involvement in just about everything. When the federal government especially gets involved with any project, any debate, any issue at all, that thing becomes more expensive and less efficient. And how does it become less efficient? Well, in 1988, there were 23 uh, administrators per 100 students in primary and secondary schools in America. 23 administrators per 100 students. In 2012, there were 31 administrators per 100 students. That's almost a 50% increase in bureaucracy. 50% more people doing something in the school system other than teach. 50% more management level salaried people who don't teach. What's the point of that? And on top of that, not only is there 50% more bureaucracy, there is a tremendous decline in the efficiency of that bureaucracy. Well, how can you measure efficiency? Well, one way is to measure the number of uh, students per administrator. And, uh, well, in primary education, students per administrator on average in 1980 was 519. Now, I'm sorry, not even now, 2012, the number of students per administrator was 365. So we're adding more and more and more administrators, more and more of that bureaucracy that our government is so good at. So let's recap this. Let's recap government involvement in the Department of Education. Government involvement in your children's education. We've had no literacy gains since before the Department of Education was created. We have had no mathematics gains in education since 1990. The cost of the public school primary and secondary education has gone up almost twice as fast as inflation. The cost of private school primary and secondary education has gone up 
over three times as much as inflation, and the cost of college has gone up almost five times the rate of inflation. But yet, school is pushing that everybody go to college. We rank dead last amongst 26 other countries in mathematics. We, we rank second to last against 26 other countries in literacy, even though we spend more money per student than any one of the other countries in that study. That, that sums up our federal government involvement. It really does. The amount of bureaucracy that federal government adds to absolutely everything is ridiculous. Would you like to argue that maybe there should be a federal department of education that sets some sort of standards nationwide that students have to learn X, Y, and Z in order to be considered a high school graduate? I'm willing to have that discussion. I'm willing to have that debate. That may be a good idea. But like everything our government gets involved in, they can't simply draw a line and say, get above this line. That's not how they do things. Instead, they draw this line, they institute tons of standardized testing in order to measure whether or not students are reaching that line. They set, well, common core standards, which in theory sound like a good idea. I'm going to get into that. I think we're going to save that until the second segment. Um, they, well, part of the problem is they put a whole bunch of emphasis on one area and ignore other areas because those other areas are deemed unimportant by someone. I don't think that's right. Our government can't do things the simple way. They can't say, okay, here's a test. Everybody has to be able to pass this test at the end of graduation in order to be a graduate and then walk away. That's what needs to be done if you want standardized competency levels for high school education. But I don't know that that's even necessary. Honestly, I, I don't know that the Department of Education is necessary. It certainly doesn't need to have 4,000 employees and doesn't need to be spending 200 billion, with a B, dollars of your tax money every year without being able to prove that they're doing something good. And right now, none of the numbers that you can run, none of the reports on education show that the Department of Education has accomplished anything that its goal is to accomplish. So why do we let it continue? It looks to me like in, in 1868, they were right when they demoted the Department of Education down to the Office of Education, not no longer a cabinet-level position. That looks like they were right. When they were worried that the Department of Education would get too much power, I think those gentlemen were right. Those political leaders in the 1860s at least had a little bit of fear about government overreach. 
today our elected officials want government overreach. Even the so-called Republicans that are supposed to be on the conservative side of the aisle constantly push for legislation to expand the government. Well, anyway, uh, only got a minute left. We come back here on in the second segment. We're going to start with the Common Core and what's going on in our education. More today, less history, more modern. Uh, be back in uh, about two minutes, and we'll see you then. Stick around. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo Five O. This Second Amendment moment is brought to you by Hunter's Warehouse at 130 West High Street in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania. When the government was closing businesses, Hunter's Warehouse was open. When ammunition was out of stock everywhere, including online, Hunter's Warehouse had it. With thousands of firearms and truckloads of ammunition in stock, no wonder people drive for hours to visit Hunter's Warehouse. Go to Hunter'sWarehouse.net for all of your Second Amendment needs. Hi, I'm Peter Serafine, host of the Liberty Lighthouse on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. I got my start in politics when I got so frustrated with progressive society that I wrote a short book. Progress? Really? My book is a quick look at the past, current, and future state of progressive culture and progressive government. I urge every liberty-loving American to read Progress? Really? Pick up your copy for less than $5.00 by clicking the Books tab at liberty-lighthouse.com. The most powerful gathering of freedom fundamentalists since Philadelphia in 1776. Mojo Five O. You are listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Welcome back to the Liberty Lighthouse, my fellow patriots and freedom fighters. Thank you very much for sticking around through the break. Got to make Mojo their money with those sponsors. Spent that first segment looking at the history of today's topic, which is education. And that's how I usually do things, looking at the history of whatever that topic is, which is kind of ironic because history is the one thing that is seriously lacking in our current Department of Education. So why don't we talk about that for a little bit? In 2010, 2010, we... uh well, we, we got the Common Core Standards from our Department of Education. Now, Common Core Standards sound like a good idea. It sounds like setting a bar so that every high school student graduates with the same basic knowledge, which, again, sounds like a good idea. But like often happens with government involvement, Things that sound like a good idea in paper end up being really, really bad ideas in practice because politics gets involved with anything when the federal government gets involved. So the Common Core Standards focus very, very largely on literacy and mathematics. The two areas where, according to studies pointed out in the first segment, the United States is horrible 
dead last in one and second to last in the other. So it makes sense that we would focus on those things. But with the Common Core Standards comes testing. Test, standardized testing. at Not just at graduation, but all throughout school. So what ends up happening is teachers are forced to teach basically for the test. They teach so that your kid can pass a test, not so that your kid can think for themselves, not so that your kid, your kid, <laughs> so that your kid can have logic and reason, and common sense, and deduce answers, but more memorize this because it's going to be on a test at some point in your educational career. That to me, it's a tremendous failure. I think the purpose of education is uh, to learn how to think for yourselves. And that's where we don't, don't excel at all anymore. All right. So back, I'm sorry, I sidetracked, uh, get back to the common core standards. So with common core standards, there's like no history in the common core goals or even if there is history there, it's very, very basic, not very in-depth at all. And as a matter of fact, because of the massive focus in Common Core to being entirely about literacy and mathematics, we actually have eight states in our nation that have zero history requirements for high school graduation. Now, for a lot of people, High school history and high school civics is the only place they're really going to be exposed to history or civics. So why in the world have eight states chosen to allow children to graduate high school without even taking a basic history test or a basic civics class? That, that, that's completely unfathomable. But more in the world of history, not only are those eight states that have no requirements, there are 3,500 school districts who have added the New York Times' 1619 project to the curriculum. You heard me. 3,500 school districts have added the 1619 project as Required learning. The 1619 Project that claims America was not founded in 1776, but was founded in 1619 when the first African slaves arrived on the shores of North America. The 1619 Project that teaches American history is nothing but slavery and racism. This is part of the actual required learning in 3,500 schools in our country. That's a problem. We don't teach love the nation. We don't teach individual responsibility, individual freedom as the foundation of our country anymore. We don't teach that the United States was the very first nation in history to be founded solely on the will of the people, that government had
has no power except for the power we the people give it. That government is there to protect our rights. We don't teach that anymore. That's a sad, sad thing. All right, moving on. There are also many school districts in our nation who use Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States as their American history textbook. I don't know if you've ever read this history book or looked into this history book or even heard of this history book, but Howard Zinn is a communist and admitted open out proud communist. So what do you think his history book says about America? Well, it's there to teach children that capitalism is evil. That America, like the 1619 Project teaches, America is unfair and unjust and just evil. And this is being taught to our children all throughout our country. I don't understand why we, the people, have allowed that. And part of the reason that's been allowed is because of these common core standards that were adopted in 2010, 2010. Because there's no history requirement within common core. So schools and school districts can teach whatever history they choose, and the kids will still meet the common core standards. Now, that's that's great stuff, isn't it? Kind of explains where all of this love of communism has come from. All these kids walking around with Che Guevara t-shirts on. Do they know who he was? Do they have any idea who Che Guevara was? Or do they just assume that, you know, he was a communist revolutionary and communism is good. So, yeah, well, let's wear a t-shirt of Che Guevara. Do they not know that he was like the number two guy under uh, Castro and was basically Castro's thug, his militant arm that went out and beat and raped and murdered people to get them to comply with Castro's regime? They not know that Che Guevara went on leave Cuba and continuous his, continued his murderous rampage in Central America, all in the name of communism. Obviously, they don't know these things. At least, I, I would assume they don't know these things. Why would you wear a T-shirt of a, a brutal mass murderer if you knew? that he was a brutal mass murderer. And even before we had the 2010 Common Core Standards, our schools were fundamentally changing much earlier than that. I remember, you know, schools started in North America before we were the United States, started in North America in the 17th century, mostly to teach reading and the Bible, and specifically reading the Bible. But... Now we do everything we can to remove the Bible, remove God from schools. I mean, going back to uh, 2000, 
the Elk Grove United School District in California argued in court that the under God portion of the Pledge of Allegiance was so offensive that it violated the First Amendment of rights of anyone who even heard it spoke. Like, not only had they argued that, no, you can't force kids to say the Pledge of Allegiance because it contains the words under God, but they said that even kids who chose not to say the pledge and heard it said by other students that their rights were violated because they heard the phrase under God. So we're, before Common Core, we were fundamentally changing our school system by removing God, which was why our public schools were created in the first place. And then in, in 2019, we got students that are being allowed to, to skip the pledge entirely, which, again, because of under God being in the words. So you can argue, if you want, we can argue whether or not the Pledge of Allegiance should be in school. We can argue whether or not the under God abortion of the Pledge of Allegiance is offensive to somebody who is not a faithful person. Because it says under God, it doesn't say under Jehovah or Allah. It says God. Well, that That's lots of different religions. So public school has been under attack. Eh, maybe that's not right word. Public school has been going through a metamorphosis for decades and decades. And why would that happen? Why would, I don't know, why would anybody want to change the school system when prior to the, I don't know, up to the 1950s, I guess, probably had the best education system in the world. Now we have one of the worst. Why would anybody want to attack the best education system in the world? Well, Nelson Mandela said that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Karl Marx knew that. That's why it's step number 10 in the Communist Manifesto. Another part of the Communist Manifesto is to remove God, remove family, and make it so that everyone worships government. Man, look at news headlines today, and that sure is what seems to be going around. Lots of worship of government. So we've got Karl Marx, who says, take over the public schools, and, well, federal government's done that. Got Karl Marx that says, remove God, and our public schools are trying really hard to do that. And you got Karl Marx who says, uh, you know, remove the family, destroy the, the, the nuclear family. And with the education of sexuality and, well, what was considered deviant sexuality up until a decade ago, being taught to young elementary school children in public schools today, that's, that's a pretty good attack to the family as well. So why is our Department of Education, I don't know, following the Communist Manifesto? Why are we, the people, allowing that is a bigger question. And you want to see some of the results? One of the things that I found that 
oh my God, I can't believe that this is happening in our country. So the Santa Barbara United School District in California, June 10th, received a list of six demands from their students. Demands from their students. Okay, what? Let's think back to when you were in high school. What might those demands have been? You know, better parking, better lunches, pizza every day. I don't know. Like, what would you have wanted in your demands when you were a high school student? Let's see what theirs were. Number one, they demanded that the school board declare racism a public health emergency and institute restorative justice practices. Really? That's something that high school kids are demanding of a school district. They also demanded, number two, funds for mental health services instead of juvenile hall detention centers. Okay, so now you've got high school kids that want to tell you how to spend your tax dollars. Interesting. Demand number three was to institute equitable hiring practices and and, and recruit, quote, culturally competent teachers for ethnic studies courses. Okay, so now the school children children are demanding how you spend your tax money and your hiring practices. Number four, they wanted the school board to publicly condemn the school-to-prison pipeline. Number five, they wanted the school board to to uh, institute culturally relevant ethnic studies classes. And number six, they wanted to defund all contracts with all law enforcement between the school board, the school districts, the individual schools, and any law enforcement agency. Really? So they don't want police in their schools. They don't want the school board to pay for police in their schools. That sounds like a brilliant idea. That sounds like, my God, that's almost as good an idea as putting up a sign that says that schools are a gun-free zone. Brilliant stuff. Won't be surprised if uh, the Santa Barbara School District sees a big rash of school shootings now. Because June 24th, just 14 days after these students made these demands, the school board unanimously approved taking action on all six of these demands by their students. Are you freaking kidding me? Not only did they approve action on all six, they approved it unanimously. There wasn't one member of that school board who said, um, why are we letting kids dictate how education is run? Because, you know what? 
kids really don't have rights. I mean, they got the right to live. Do they have the right to free speech? Nope. Do they have the right to bear arms? Nope. They're kids. And we're, this school district is allowing kids to demand what's going on there. So this school district said, okay, racism is a public health emergency, and then gave uh, the first week of February as like Black Lives Matter in school, in school week or some crap like that. Not only now do we have Black History Month, the entire month of February, now there's a week in the beginning of February, at least in this school district, it's Black Lives Matter in school. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant stuff there. <sighs> so now in this school district in Santa Barbara, California, as of 2024, ethnic studies will be required to graduate from their school. Hmm. As of this year, two of the new classes that were brought on board because of these students' demands. One is uh, English 9, Ethnic and Social Justice Studies Emphasis. Ethnic and Social Justice Studies in high school. English 9, I'm assuming a freshman in high school. (laughs) Number two, the other new course is Ethnic and Social Justice Studies. The board has agreed to have courses placed on the June 23rd board consent agenda. So they've created two new Ethnic and Social Justice Studies courses in this school district. And they will be required, or at least one of them will require. They didn't get into a whole lot of detail there, in order to graduate high school now. But at a federal level, we don't teach... Uh, we don't teach history. We wonder why our children are out there fighting for socialism and communism. Because we don't teach them the evils of these things anymore. They see free health care, free education, and they think, oh, that would be wonderful. Well, it would be wonderful, but the government is absolutely the worst way of accomplishing any of these things, because that is more power and control to a government which you should not trust. You should never trust a government. Trust but verify. I forget which president said that. That's a good thing. Trust but verify. Education is ridiculously important. And we're allowing people in our own government to ruin the education of our children. Not only are they not being taught to think for themselves, they're being taught by an increasingly progressive staff, increasingly progressive teachers and administrators. And we just let it happen. Study after study after study has shown that the... uh, the, uh, the, the progressive to conservative ratio in universities is like 12 to 1 or something like that. Colleges regularly decline invitations and, and uh, 
deny conservative speakers the right to speech speak on college campuses. But yet we keep giving them tax dollars. Why is it that we as a nation spend more money on education than any other Western civilized country? But our test scores are the worst. Why hasn't the Department of Education fix that? My opinion is they don't want to fix that. Because if our students, our young people, start to think for themselves, they might realize that communism is a bad thing. That communism has killed millions and millions of people everywhere in this world where it's ever been attempted. But do we even teach that anymore? Probably not. Because there's no federal history requirement. And the federal requirements is, seems to be all that teachers really teach for anymore. We keep creating more and more layers of management and bureaucracy in the schools, school system. Paying these people very well in many cases. But yet we barely pay our teachers anything. Teachers are important, but teachers should not be pushing political agendas. If your students have any idea of what your political affiliation is, and you teach in primary or secondary school, you are a failure as a teacher. Your job is to make children think for themselves and form their own opinions based on what they have learned. They should not be able to tell that, you know, you're a lefty or you're a conservative. But yet, we have teachers, I think it was in a, a Joe Biden town hall with the NEA, the National Education Association, the largest teachers union. One of these Union leaders prefaced their question to Joe Biden with like a two-minute-long soliloquy about how it's their job to mold the minds of children to their new progressive agenda. That's obviously my shortened, abbreviated paraphrase. I could not find the sound for that question, but I really wanted to find it. Because I remember hearing it and thinking, why is it okay for this teacher to openly admit these things. Just like with Patrice Cullors, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, why was it okay for her to openly admit that she's a Marxist? Why is that phrase, why is Marxist not an instant death nail in the career of anybody in politics? Well, it's because we don't teach Marxism as a bad thing anymore. We now teach capitalism is the root of all evil. Capitalism is what kills millions of people because of poverty. Colleges, universities, the place where you used to go to be exposed to new ideas, the place where you used to grow as a human being, 
see the world, so to speak, be exposed to other people of other opinions from other parts of the country. Well, they now have speech codes. Well, you can't say these things that hurt somebody else's feelings. They have safe spaces, places where students who do get their feelings hurt can go and, I don't know, play with Play-Doh and snuggle up against soft, squishy, stuffed animals and Ah, until they feel better. We've now relegated speech on college campuses to designated free speech zones. You know what the free speech zone is? The borders of the United States of America. Any college, any university, any public or private school who accepts federal tax dollars should have to forfeit those federal tax dollars if they violate this First Amendment. I think that's pretty simple. But our universities do it all the time. I live 10 miles down the road from Penn State. Penn State has their little safe spaces. They have their their progressive social justice warriors. But the conservative student groups... Well, now, the conservative student groups, they, they've got to do their speech in their little designated free speech zones. So in summary of today, in summary of this week's Liberty Lighthouse, what do we have? Government involvement makes everything more expensive and far less pro- uh, effective and ridiculously progressive. Why do we keep letting the government get involved in absolutely everything. Where are our elected officials standing up and saying, hey, this might not be a great idea? That's it. It's all that time we have. So until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64 My Rights to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse. And wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. High capacity, fully automatic, large caliber, freedom. Mojo 5-0.